open, so I'm not ready yet. So you get one extra minute to talk to people. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, time's up. Good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? All right. Glad to be here. Excited to be here this morning. Anybody I haven't met yet, I'm Ben Schultz. Um, I'm one of the staff members here at our church, and I'm excited to be sharing with the word of the Lord with you here this morning. Um, I grew up here. I grew up in Warsaw, in, actually in this church, and uh, we had a little house, well, trailer, um, up on the hill over there. And in our house, we had a uh, 21 rules of the house, and it was it was uh, stuck on the refrigerator right there. Anybody here have something like that, 21 rules of the house? This is my sister, Sarah. Do you remember those rules? Um, uh, you still have them. Um, so they were on the, there, and some of them I thought were pretty good rules and made sense. It was like, um, if I make a mess, I'll clean it up. If I turn it on, I will turn it off. Those kinds of things. Um, other rules were a little more difficult, like um, if I hurt someone, I'll say I'm sorry, or... If I lie, I will tell the truth. That one's tricky. But the last rule was the one I had the most problem with. The last rule is, if I break any of the other rules, I will accept the punishment. I feel like that's a terrible rule. And here's why. Because if I can choose to break any of the previous rules, can't I just choose to break that rule, which is that I would get punishment? It's a loophole in the system. My parents didn't see the same way. Um... So I grew up with those rules. Maybe you grew up with some similar rules in your house. And I think um, what I found is that people struggle sometimes in following God. There's a hesitancy to give their life to God because we're worried about all of the rules. What can I wear? What am I allowed to eat? What am I allowed to drink? Can I have a tattoo? How many times do I need to go to church? What are all the rules of being a follower of God? And I don't really want to sign up for a bunch of rules. You don't have to raise your hand, but I wonder how many people in this place um, struggle with that or maybe have, that was a hurdle for you. Well, I have good news for you. God only gave us one rule. This is, this is my message to you. The goodness of God, he gave us one rule, and that is to love. And that might sound like an oversimplification, like I'm watering it down, but I'm telling you that's what Jesus said. At one point um, in his life, he was challenged by some of the religious scholars who knew that the Jewish tradition had lots of rules. They're like, we're going to trick Jesus with this tricky question. We have lots and hundreds and hundreds of rules and rituals. What's the most important one? What's the first one? That was their question. What's the first rule? And do you know what Jesus said? He said, love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your might. That's what he said. The first rule is love God. And the second, and actually, I would even argue, it's not even the second rule, it's the second half of the first rule, which is love your neighbor as yourself. That was Jesus' response to the question, what's the first rule? Love God and love people. And that might sound familiar to you if you've been in our church for a little while, because our church's um, mission statement is love God, love people, and love Warsaw. Jesus didn't actually say love worse all in the Bible, but that's our way of taking his commandment and putting it into where we are here and now. 
That's what our church is for. That's what I'm living for, is to love God, love people around me, and love the town that God's put us in. Amen? Are you guys with me? Now listen, Jesus stuck that love your neighbor as yourself into the first commandment. It's the second part of the first commandment because if you love someone, you have to love what they love. Follow me? So for those of you who are married, maybe you've been through this before. When you marry somebody, you have to learn to love the things that they love. Um, you, <laughs> you have to love the people that they love. You can't say to your, to your spouse, I love you and I always want to be with you, but I never want to talk to your family. I never want to be around your family at, at all. I know some of you might be tempted to say that, or maybe even you have said that, but you can't. If I really love you, I have to learn to love the people that you love. Um, or maybe you married a spouse that had um, a pet that they loved, a, a dog or a cat that they loved. And when you get married, that becomes your pet as well. You have to love. You can't say, I love you so much, but your cat's not allowed in my house. They're not going to accept that. If you love someone, you have to love what they love. And so if you love God, you have to love people. Loving people is a part of loving God. You cannot separate those two things. So if you have your Bibles, um, you can open them or turn them on. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 4, an awesome book of the Bible talking about God's love. So 1 John chapter 4, we're going to stay in this one passage the whole time so you can, you can open it up. If you, like to, um, if you like to underline or highlight in your Bible, get your, under, your highlighter out. There's a lot of good stuff in this passage we're going to look at. So we're going to start, we're in 1 John 4, looking in verse 7. And I'm going to read just a section of, of verses here, and then we'll talk a little bit about that, okay? If you're ready, say, I'm ready. All right, good. Sounds like most everyone's ready. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God. Everyone, whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loves us, and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God, but if we love one another, I lost my spot, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. I'm going to jump down to, to verse 16. In the middle of verse 16, it says, God is love. And if you're allowed to underline in your Bible, underline that. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God but hates their brother or their sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he gave us this command, 
anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Holy Spirit, we want to invite you into this uh, room for the next couple of minutes, and I pray that you would speak to us into our hearts, into our lives, um, from your word, in your name. We pray, and everyone all together said, Amen. All right, so good passage of scripture. Um, pretty much everything I want to say to you is, is wrapped up in those verses right there. The first point that I want to I make is that we love people because that's just who God is. That is who God is. And it's very clear, those first couple of verses right there, um, it's not something that he does sometimes. It's who he always is. Uh, and I was thinking about a good way to explain what this means. It doesn't mean that like, God does loving things really well. Everything he does is love. So that would be like if I said, if I said somebody is fast, what I mean by that is when they are running, they run very fast, right? But when they're sitting, they're not sitting fast. When they're sleeping, they're not sleeping fast. But if I say somebody is tall, that person is always tall. Whether they are standing or running or sleeping, that's a tall person. Everything they do is tall. And God is the same way. Everything he does is love. Whether he is providing for you or whether he's disciplining you, whether he feels near or he feels distant, everything he does is love. That's who God is. And that's, um, that is part of the reason why we love people the way we do, because it's a part of him. So you can see this really clearly in verses 7 and 8, the very beginning of the passage that I read to you. It says, um, let us love one another because love is from God. You guys see that right there? And then it says, everyone who is born of God, that's a metaphor. It doesn't mean literally born of God. It means who are born into God's family. And for those who are born into God's family and they know God, they love. So it's like family culture. We all have a different family culture. And I don't think my dad ever said this, but maybe your dad would say something with like, like my last name is Schultz. So some dads would say like, if you're Schultz, Schultzes don't do this, and Schultzes don't do that. Or maybe your dad said something like that to you with your last name, like, this is how you act in our family, you know? I remember, like, um, a part of my family culture growing up is that my dad was a hard worker. And I remember, like, if you were working on a project, he was, he was a contractor for quite a while, and so if you were working on a project, you're outside working, you don't quit for lunch break just because you're hungry. Um, in fact, don't you dare walk off the, the job site for a lunch break in the middle of a job. You quit for lunch break when you're done with the project that you're working on. I learned this the hard way, but it, it was a part of the culture. It's like, we're working on something, and we're not going to break until we're done. At the end of the day, we're not quitting until we're done with this project. And along the same lines, if the family's working, everybody's working. So if dad's outside building a shed, everyone's out there helping. If dad's planting a garden, Everyone's out there helping. If dad's going to a church work day at the church, we're all going and we're all helping. You don't stand and watch dad work. Trust me, that's a dangerous thing to do. If dad's working, you better be in there working. Um, and so that was a part of my family culture growing up. And that it, it stuck in me. And so that when I'm around people that are working, I just am driven to help out. Um, if there's a church work day, I'm going to be here. If there's somebody we know that is moving, I'm going to be there helping move. Um, and I'm going to bring my kids with me, whether they want to or not, because that's a part of our family culture. 
And so just like that, and you have your own family cultures, own things that are a part of the way your family operates and what's important to your family. And I want to tell you that loving people is God's family culture. If you are part of the family of God, then loving people is a part of your culture here. Showing love is God's family culture. That's the way I want to say that. Showing his love, expressing his love, demonstrating it. That's how he does things. So I want to show you two cool ways God's love is shown. Uh, if you look in verse 9, you'll see God's love for us is seen in Jesus. God didn't just feel love. He didn't just like, ooh, I really like you a lot and have a lot of emotions. He demonstrated it sacrificially. You see there in verse 9, it says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his son. And this is really God's love. Not that we somehow loved him and earned something, but that he loved us and he sacrificed his son. So that's how God loves, is by demonstrating it in a sacrificial way. God's love for us is seen in Jesus. It's like I grew up in the church, and so I know that God loves me. If you grew up in the church, you probably have heard that a billion times. It's in all of our um, Sunday school stories and in our songs, and it's everywhere. How could you escape the fact that God loves me and God loves everyone? And you know that. But there's a difference between knowing it, between hearing your Sunday school teacher tell it to you, and Jesus speaking it to your heart. I can remember, there's lots of instances of this happening in my life, but I can remember one in particular when, and it actually wasn't that long ago. Um, it was a couple years ago, I was in my backyard. Um, I think I was just praying, sitting in a, a chair in my backyard, just relaxing, enjoying the outdoors and, and praying. And I really felt like Jesus came. Um, and he said, I want you to know that I love you. Actually, what he said was, I love spending time with you. I love being with you. And hearing him say that touches me in a way that just knowing God loves is not the same as when Jesus says it to me, when it becomes real to me. And you, hopefully you've experienced something along the same lines. Because Jesus is, Jesus is God's love to you. It's how you know it. It's how you feel it. When I was um, in, I think, middle school, um, I remember getting a love letter as much as a middle schooler would write a love letter. Um, I remember getting a love letter from this girl that I liked, and I think it, it said something like, I like you, do you want to go with me to dance, or something like that. Um, but here's the funny thing. She wrote this letter, and the very end of it, um, the most important part, she wrote it in Spanish, which is weird because I don't speak Spanish, and I definitely don't read Spanish. And I remember I carried the letter around for a day like, well, I don't know what this, this says. Like, and I think the, the important part was like, do you want to go with me to the dance or something like that? And I don't know what this says. And I, I finally, like the end of the day, like got up the guts to ask somebody else who spoke Spanish, um, hey, can you tell me what this says, <laughs> this letter? And uh, this other girl in, in class like translated it for me. And, um, and I was like, oh, okay, thanks. Um, and I think that's kind of an, awkward, but kind of a funny picture of what Jesus is like. It's like God loves us, and his love is everywhere, and it has always been all around us. But Jesus is one who puts it in words that we understand. He's the one who makes it real to us. He's the one who gives us an opportunity to respond 
because we know what it means and we know what, he, what, what it is for us. And the goal of Jesus' love towards us is more than just happiness and warm, fuzzy feelings. Although it feels good when he tells you that he loves you, but Jesus' love for you is more than that. The goal of Jesus' love is for us to be restored to the Father and to live in wholeness and in peace. Jesus' love, the goal of his love, is for us to be restored to the Father, and that's important. My first point was that God's love is, is seen in, to us through Jesus, but God's love is seen to the people around us through us. You follow me? Jesus is the expression of God's love to us, and we are the expression to other people. So we looked at 9 and 10. Let's move on to the next set of verses right there. It says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And no one has seen God, but if we love then God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. So no one can see God because he's invisible. But if we do loving things, then people can see God's love in us. Um, In this translation, it says his love is made complete. Um, In, I think, the New King James, it says his love is perfected in us. How many of you guys have the word perfected in your Bible right there? That word made me feel a little bit uncomfortable when I first read it. Like, you're telling that God's love is not perfect, and then it becomes perfect? Like, that my brain is like, no, no, God's always perfect. How can his love need perfection? So I looked at that word just a little bit, um, and so here they have it translated as made complete, and that's a good, trans- that's a good way to look at it. Um, other words they use to explain what this perfected mean would be fulfilled, or finished, or completed. So God's love is incomplete, until it's expressed to a person. I remember a couple of years ago, um, Chelsea and I had written, an, I think it was an anniversary card to Tom and Sharon Weber, and it sat on our, our dining room dresser for eight months maybe, I don't remember how long, a long time. Had a gift card in it, might have expired. <laughs> and so like, we love Tom and Sharon, and we have this gift to express our love, but as long as it's sitting on a counter in our dining room, it's incomplete, right? And it, it, it's not completed until they receive it. And so God's love is not fully complete until the people he's expressing it to also receive it. So that's why God's love to people around us is perfected or completed when we demonstrate it. We are an expression of God's love to people. Uh, last fall, our church did this um, food giveaway. We called it Everything But the Turkey. It was right around Thanksgiving time. We gave people bags of food that included everything but the turkey, hence the name. Um, And I I actually think many people in this room were a part of that. It was at the park, and cars would drive through, and we would would give people bags of food. Um, And I was stationed uh, sort of near the end of the line, and my job was to talk to people. Um, I guess that's what I'm I'm good at. So I I was at the end talking to people, um, you know, helping them get their bag of food, but then also asking if they, what was going on, if they needed any prayer. And that was a really, really cool experience. Um, I had more than one uh, family that said this, and there's one in particular that I remember where they said, like, um, it was a lady and her mom and her child, and she said that they didn't really have anything to serve for Thanksgiving. And they were so grateful that our church was giving them food because they didn't really have a Thanksgiving meal. Um, 
And I was just, what a great picture of like, God loves this family and this lady and her mom and her child, and he wants to give them food. And yes, could, could God make a meal appear out of thin air onto their table? I'm sure that he could do that if he wants, but that's not what he's chosen to do. He has chosen to love people through you and I. And if I don't go to that food giveaway, then that person doesn't receive God's love. But because I did, because I was involved in it, and because many of you were involved in it, these people feel God's love for them. Um, and then I got to pray with many of them. And I remember one lady, she said, thank you guys for all you do, but especially thank you for the prayer. That was the best part of it. That's what she said. And how awesome is it? Just like Jesus, you and I are part of expressing God's love to people. You and I are part of bringing wholeness to this world. You and I are part of sharing God's peace with people. What an awesome opportunity that we get to be a part of that. So I said that we love people because that's just who God is, but the next thing I want to bring you to is this, that we love people because that is who we are now. That's who we are. It's not just our God, but it's us. Another place in the scriptures that says that for those who are in Christ, old things are passing away and all things are becoming new. I am becoming loving. I might not always have been the most loving person. I might not always loved people, but that's who I'm becoming. Maybe I still am not there yet, but I am becoming that. I am becoming God is love. That's what I'm becoming, and so are you. If you are in Christ, this is who you are now. Look at verse 16 and 17. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete. Talked about that. Um, so that we have confidence in the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Do you see that? In this world, we are like Jesus. Like Jesus who sacrificed so people could see God's love. Like Jesus who wanted to restore people to relationship with the Father. That's what we're like. In uh, the New King James, I think the, the wording there is, as he is, so are we. As he is, so are we. Maybe it would help if you say that. Let me hear you say that. As he is, so are we. Make it personal. Say, as he is, so am I. As he is, so am I. If you have experienced God's love through Jesus, then salvation is at work in your heart. But your salvation is about more than you getting into heaven. Your salvation is about more than just you in heaven. Your salvation is a part of God's plan to restore peace to this broken world. You are a part of God bringing love and wholeness to this world. And that is a world I want to be a part of. That's a plan I want to be involved with. How about you guys? Is that something you want to be in? Listen, I remember learning about the traditions of monks in the, in the first couple of centuries um, in their pursuit of God, in their pursuit of holiness. Um, they were seeking solitude and they were practicing spiritual disciplines by avoiding human contact. And some of them took it to some great extremes, like going out to live in the desert as far away from the other humans as they possibly can, or locking themselves in a room where no one could talk to them at all, 
as long as I could so they could draw closer to God. Um, and now, I don't want to criticize them. They clearly understood things about spiritual discipline that I could stand to learn. However, I don't think that's the picture of God's love that Jesus demonstrated. L- getting as far away from other humans as possible so you can connect with God. That's not what Jesus was called to, and that's not what we're called to. We're called to be in this world just like Jesus. And what do we see Jesus doing? Walking around with lepers who no one should talk to, with sinners that no one should hang out with, with tax collectors, corrupt people, um, women and drinkers and all kinds of people that, he sh- that you know, society said he shouldn't be around. He didn't avoid those people. He didn't separate himself from those people. He got in with them. That's how he was, and that's how we ought to be, showing God's love to these people. We are here to change this culture. God put you in your family to change the culture there. I don't know what you think about your family and your extended family and your in-laws and and all, all the people who are in your circle, but I'm telling you, God put you there to change the culture. God put you at your job change the culture there. Maybe you don't get along with your boss or your coworkers or whatever, but God put you there. Not to close your eyes, keep your head down, and just get to heaven. He put you there to change the culture, to love the people that are there. That's what Jesus would have done, and as he is, so are you. And sometimes, let's be honest, as a church, we can be honest here, that can be a tall order. Right? When you start thinking about the people at your job, the people in your family, the people you, 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 know, you see on a regular basis, that can be tricky sometimes. I got good news. God calls us to love, but God enables us to love. We are enabled to love these people. Look at verses 18 and 19. There's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because love has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love, but we love because he loved us. We love others because of the way he loved us. We don't love because we're afraid of failing, because we have to prove something. We don't love out of guilt or obligation or this is, this is what I have to do because what Ben said we have to do. We love because we have been loved, because he first loved us. There's another place where um, Jesus challenged his disciples. He said, freely you have received freely give. You have been loved freely, so love others freely. You have been forgiven, so forgive others. You have been healed. You have been um, provided for. You have been blessed, so bless others. Freely you have received and freely give. You ever guys have heard anyone use this expression, or maybe you've used this expression? I just can't. If someone's bothering you right now, maybe your kids, I, just, I can't with these kids right now. I just can't. Um, and actually, I can't is like one of my least favorite phrases in the English language. You can ask my kids as I hate when people say I can't. So it's a lie. And why would you lie to yourself about what you can do? Sorry, that's a different sermon. Um, but I hate when people say I can't. So when they're like, you know what? I just can't with this person right now. And I want to argue with them and be like, yes, you can. But I realize, you know what? They're probably right. You're probably right. You probably can't. Um, but God can. God's love can, and God's love is in you. So maybe you can't. Maybe you personally don't have enough patience and enough grace and enough kindness for this person in your life right now, but God does, and he is in you. 
And he wants to demonstrate his love and kindness to those people through you. It's like going fishing with little kids. How many of you guys have ever taken young kids fishing? It's a really dangerous thing to do. In fact, I remember being in a small, small little rowboat in Steve Sendham's pond behind his house, a small little robot, a ro- rowboat with two kids, each with fishing poles, one on, one on either side of me. This is so dangerous. We're giving them sticks with string and long hook on the end and telling them to swirl them around, basically. And so I, I remember I'm like playing defense. I'm like, okay, here, hold this. Okay, now, okay, now put it down in the water. Okay, put it down in the water. Try not to get stabbed. And you know what? Um, my, the two kids I had with me that day, they caught a lot of fish. And I didn't catch any fish. So I guess that makes them better fishermen than me. Except, as I'm sure you can guess, I did all of the work. I'm the one who found the worms and, and strung up their pole and stuck the worm on the needle. And then when they caught a fish, I had to take the fish off. And, you know, and then I would do it. It was like, I'm doing this one. And then, oh, I put a worm back on that one. And, oh, this one's coming off. And just trying not to get stabbed doing all of the work so they can enjoy fishing. And I want to say that's a picture of what it's like loving people in our lives. We look at it and be like, I can't do this. I can't do this. But God's doing all the hard work. He's the one who's forgiving them for their sins. All you have to do is be kind to them. You get to enjoy being a part of expression of God's love to them. And he does all of the hard work. And you're just along for the ride. And I know I'm making it sound easier than it is because I've been in the same situations you guys have been in. Um, but not only does God enable us to love people, he commands us to love people. It's a part of what we signed up for in following Jesus. So the last couple of verses there, whoever claims to love God yet hates the brother or sister is a liar. Ouch, that's tough words right there. Whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they do see. Because he's given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother or sister. And that verse 21 right there, um, anyone who loves God must love their brother or sister, that echoes Jesus' response about the first commandment. Love God with all of your hearts and love your neighbor as yourself. What's the first commandment? Let's love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. There are two parts to the first commandment. They go together. Loving God is a part of how you love people. And so um, John writes here, and he, he kind of works this out. He says, like, if God's invisible, you can't see God, you can't physically do anything to God, then how do you know if you're loving him with all of your heart? How do you know if you're loving him with all of your strength, with all of your mind, if you can't see him? I can say that I am, but how does anybody know? And he says the test of your love for God is how you treat the people around you. How you treat the people you can see, the people you can affect, the people you can do stuff with, the people that you could um, give a hug to or buy a meal for or spend some time listening to or talking to. That's the test of how you love God is how you treat the people around you. And how often are we guilty of saying that we love God, we come to church, we sing songs, we pray prayers, God, I love you so much. And then we, we, we walk out and we go home and we are maybe rude or short-tempered with people. We get annoyed at people. We get angry at people. And we say that we love God, 
but then we often hate other people around us and it, it doesn't work. It's not, it, we're, we're liars. I don't want to use that word, but that's the word that, that the Bible uses. We're liars. Now, here's the thing. As I was thinking about this, I realized like I kind of let myself off easy here. The truth is, I actually don't think I hate very many people. Like, you know, sometimes my kids can be a little annoying. Sometimes my coworkers are frustrating. But I don't really hate anybody. I'm not like, ooh, I hate that person. So it's like, well, I can say that I love God and also that I don't hate anybody. And I felt like God challenged me with this, that hate is not the opposite of love. The opposite of love is apathy. It's when I just don't really care that much. It doesn't really matter to me. That's the opposite of love. That's really what this verse is getting at. Is if you love God, you can't ignore those people. And so I, he, he challenged me to read it like this. What if the verse said, anyone who says, I love God, but then ignores the people in their life is a liar. Anyone who ignores their coworkers doesn't really love God. Anyone who ignores their neighbors, do they really love God? That's a challenging question for me because it's easy for me to not hate them. But am I ignoring them? Am I just trying to avoid them because it's difficult and inconvenient? I love the way the, uh, the Message Bible phrases this last phrase here. It says, loving God includes loving people. A great wording, a great way to summarize what's being said here. Loving God includes loving people. So I'm going to challenge you with a question. Um, it's kind of the question I've been wrestling with here. I'm going to throw it back to you guys. Is If you love God, where can I see that expressed in your life? If you love God, who are the people that you're loving? If you love God, what difference is it making? I'm going to close with a word of prayer because we all need prayer on this. We thank you, Jesus, that you showed us God's love. We thank you for your, your kindness and your goodness to us. And we ask you for your help. We want to be a representation of you. We want to show people that same love. So we ask you, please help us. Help us to love our coworkers. Help us to love our neighbors. Help us to love um, other parents at the school and um, other people in line at the store. and Wherever we run into people, Lord, help us. And I pray that you would bless all that we do this week um, in your name. Amen. Amen. I hope you guys are challenged um, and uh, love people this week. Amen.